Hello and welcome to the very 96th episode of the Shut Up and Sit Down podcast, a podcast all about board games, board games, and the people who love them. I'm Matt Lees, joined by Quentin Smith. Hello, Matt Lees! Hello, Quentin Smith. I'm so excited to talk about board games. It's been a while. I can tell. I can tell both that it's been a while and that you're excited. I will not be dismissed, Matthew. No, I'm not dismissing you. You're, you're like a, here. You're a parent looking down at their kid who's excited no. to talk about Minecraft or whatever. No, no, no. Fortnite. I'm, I'm, I'm with you. It's, it's Fortnite now. They've changed yeah. it. It used to be Minecraft. Now it's Fortnite. We are in my domain of games. You can see the games spread around the room like... It's like uh, that Cave of Wonders from Agrabah, fictional land that it definitely is not Arabia in, in Aladdin. I'm doing Aladdin chat. It's a podcast about board games and Disney's Aladdin. Oh, I was going to say, when's the next Disney board game? But then I remembered that Disney's villainous exists and it's all it's fine. right. It's absolutely fine. Uh, you know what's better than fine? The games we're going to be talking about today. Hopefully. We're going to be talking about Res Arcana, the new mm. tableau building game where you're going to turn uh, magic into other kinds of magic. We're going to be talking about Dice Throne, a mm. game of rolling dice and doing damage, which, frankly, is the kind of classic design we don't get to talk about enough uh, in this modern era of board games. We're going to be talking about The Insider, mm. a hidden role game where everybody's working, trying to work out a puzzle, but one of you already knows the answer. Mm. We're going to be talking at long last about Three Kingdoms Redux. <sighs> an incredibly... What, it's, it's just been so long. Why Why is it only now? It was just really intimidating. I, I hadn't read the manual. Matthew, I panicked. I, I've been carrying around my review copy of uh, Heavy Game, Three Kingdoms Redux for years. And finally, now I've played it. And do you know what? What? It's all right. It's fine. It's fine. We're going to be talking about Isle of Sky, the Druids expansion. Good gosh. Are they ever going to stop throwing expansions of this game at you? I hope not, uh, because uh, it's one of my favorite games ever. We're going to be talking about a game that's got a lot of people excited. It's Batman Gotham City Chronicles, the $135 Batman mm. miniatures game that contains everything Batman. Everything a Batman could need. Uh, and finally, we're going to be talking a tiny bit about Chronicles of Crime, because mm, Matthew's yeah. review has just gone live. Mm. Imagine mm. such a thing. Do you want to start by telling everybody about Res Arcana? So Res Arcana is, as you say, a tableau builder. A tableau, baby. It's kind of a game where you turn cubes into other kinds of cubes. It's a little bit like a Euro game, German-style economy builders. However, you have a process at the start of the game that involves you drafting the cards that then build up your slow tableau machine well that's an optional expert variant i don't know i think that's the way you play it after you've learned how to play it is that i i maybe i misread the manual but i thought the intention was just play a game like this and then do your drafting well we'll get to that later because okay, i've got sure. some thoughts on that okay well basically yeah so you have a deck of stuff you get some cards and then you basically slowly build up a machine of things that turns one type of magic into other kinds of magic so you're wizards or gold so yeah you're wizards but you're different kinds of wizards doing different kinds of things you have different kinds of aspirations maybe for example i want to build a beautiful castle in the sky and maybe you want to build a Hellforge or something. So we have a choice of things that everyone can try and build and buy in the middle, which are like these big expensive trophy pieces that are going to unlock amazing powers or just loads of victory points. And it's the first person to get 10 victory points. So really, it's actually a fairly 
dry little thing with some 1970s style fantasy wizardy art. So everything's high fantasy. Everything, everything's very shiny. All of the people are quite thin and <laughs> and like you know it's all slightly fey in in, in a fun way. And that's something I I really enjoy. But it admittedly, is trad as hell. But really, I think what I like about it is it has some really pleasing feels to it in terms of like the the components the fact that the different types of magic are different shapes of wood yes you referred to them as cubes earlier but we've left They're that not behind cubes if you've you like your your life magic is like a green leaf mm-hmm. and your fire magic is a little flame yeah so you've got like these little different shapes of wood that you store up and you build up and they're very pleasing to pick up and move around and I really like this. In the box, because it's a little small box game, the divider collector container thing you have, which holds your um, all of these magic bits, is like split up into the five shapes of the five different elements in this fantasy realm. And it sits in the middle of the table, just out of the box. There's all your five different types of magic. Help yourself. It's like one of those things you get with chips and dips or for Doritos or with, like, <laughs> with three different types of salsa or, you know, sour cream. I'm going to... as much- I, know, I know that doesn't sound like a thing that we should be brought up, but there's something about this. What I like about it is it's very quick to get out. The art's really cool. It's very fun and quick to play. And it kind of plays to me like a, a quick little Euro game where you have a bit of interaction between each other, a bit of trying to stop other people from doing things that you want to do, etc. And I really like it. You weren't as hot on it. You thought it was okay. But I, I want to play more of it because I really liked it. Well, yeah, we, we let you go home with the copy. I'm going to explain a little bit about uh, more like what your turn looks like because I don't yeah, know. I didn't, maybe you didn't do that very well. It's okay. <laughs> uh, so what you do on your turn is uh, you're going to have a very small deck of cards and uh, of which you draw a hand. Everyone's deck is sort of 10 unique magical objects or spells that you have. Once you put those in front of you, you start sort of building a tiny little engine. So maybe you have like a, a duelist who turns uh, life energy into death energy and money. Mm. Uh, or maybe you have a, a sort of magic jar that if you can afford to put a little magic into it, then it'll have more magic next turn. Mm. And so everyone's trying to spin up these sort of awkward little engines of um, getting a little bit of magic and then turning it into different kinds of magic and finally funneling it all into these big projects that actually generate victory points. But like you say, yeah, it's got this small box and that's nice. It's also uh, pretty simple to teach. That's really nice. The art is nice. The fact that it's over in like 45 minutes Mm -hmm. is really nice. And actually, I was thinking about this on my way here. Uh, We were kind of a bit disappointed by Wingspan, uh, which exists in a similarly complicated space, which Wingspan, of course, being the game of bird management that everyone's Mm. gone crazy for recently. um, That's absolutely beautiful, a truly stunning box. Um, However, Res Arcana felt more successful to me and and a more affordable game, what's more, in providing like a 45-minute uh, tableau building game. Mm. So I liked it more than Wingspan. It's got that going for it. Um, and I like that everyone has their own unique deck. But you know, to me, it just felt a tiny bit slow and fiddly. Um, the custom wooden shapes that you were talking about that exist in those little yogurt pot dip sections in the box. Mm-hmm. Hey, we can all like that. But you know why things tend to be cubes and why you, you know, <laughs> it's because cubes are easier to pick up. Yeah, and I look. I'm aware this is the pettiest thing in the world, but I found a weird source of friction in trying to pick up things that just tended to lay flat on the yeah. table. I mean, you've classically got bad hands. <laughs> this, is, this is the thing that everyone in the industry always says about you behind your back. You know, it's it's great, very talented critic, but man, those hands 
doesn't know what he's doing with it's them. like five sausages trying yeah, to... it's like the the dexterity equivalent of demanding you have the bumpers up for bowling every time you go it's just yeah just the amount of times i've broken <sighs> nails from mashing my hands just, against the table it's just unbelievable yeah so it's you know i think that's an understandable criticism it's i think I like how neat and smart and small and quick it is. And I like the fact that it's a game where, yeah, you have a deck of cards that you can play. But your deck is like, I think it's eight cards at the start of being like, you know, these are your eight cards. Yeah, your deck is eight, maybe ten cards. Yeah, yeah like, and you basically, I, I found that it really popped to life and became really interesting for me after. It's like, okay, we get the basics now. And then to have you draft, of being like, because in the game, in the box, you get like, you know, a deck of like maybe 60 cards, 50 cards. Um, you know, this isn't a review, I can't remember. Um, and... So you're not going to even, even in a two or three player game, you're not even going to be seeing like uh, all of the cards. And then the fact you shuffle it and shuffle some stuff in. I do like uh, the kind of engine builder thing of just beginning drafting and looking at some cards and not knowing what the other cards around you are of being like, what am I going to try and do? So rather than having a thing of like, you know, with, with having a, such a small deck, knowing the whole time what you're trying to do and being given at the start a character type that you choose. So you're like, okay, this is my plan. Yep. Um, and then just working through a little plan where it kind of felt like an interesting idea, even if the actual theme and conception and lots of the other stuff wasn't that interesting, of having a kind of Euro-y style thing whereby you're trying to build up an engine. But right from the start of the game, it's not like I'm going to just build whatever engine makes sense and see what happens with. You're yeah. like, you've, you've drafted to build an engine and then you've just got to try and get it going. And you know what you're doing the whole time. Yeah, it's very small and manageable. And that's that's unusual. Um, I think the reason I, I kicked up a fuss about drafting is... So drafting, if you're not aware, is the process where rather than being dealt cards at random, everyone draws a hand of cards and you take the card you want and then you pass that hand of card around the table. So by doing this 10 times, everyone will have 10 cards that are their own, cards that they've denied to other players, all of this good stuff. The the reason that I'm not... That's a variant that you can play Rizal Kana with. The mm -hmm. reason I'm not 100% sold on it is because it elongates the game that much more. Mm. And also it resulted in, rather than me drawing a hand of cards and being like, oh, this is random, let's see what I can hang together it made me feel like I was making really important decisions in the opening 15-minute draft phase mm. that then were sort of holding me back or limiting my surprise. I think it's a, it's a cool variant in the box and it definitely makes the game more involved. I just think I like it more as a quick random thing, like a, a quick 45-minute thing as opposed to a more tricky hour and 15-minute thing. Yeah, just maybe. Put, just, it's just how I feel. Yeah, no, that's... I mean, you, you and your bad hands are entitled to Me and my bad sorts. hands and my bad opinions. <laughs> No, I don't know. I, I think it's fine. I think it's one of those things of being like, it's it's pretty rare that because we have similar tastes and things and it's yeah. pretty rare that we both play something and go, oh, you know, fine. And have one of us being actually excited about it. But annoyingly, what I tend to find is I'll check something out and you'll be like, yeah. And then I'll go, no, I really like it. And I'll check it out more and I'm like, end up on exactly the same page as you. Um, so I'll, I'll that be is infuriating. Yeah. It does happen quite a lot. I'm like, no, I think I like it. And then I play it more. I'm like, no, actually, I don't like it for all the same reasons that Quinn said. Never mind. Hey, um, play it some more. I I'm, no, I'm going to play it some more, especially because play we, we played more. it a couple of times, two or three times. And mostly, I think when we played with the drafting, we played it as a two-player game. And I think I think with three or four, it could be more interesting, particularly when you have cards that are offensive or defensive. And if you realize quite early on drafting, you're like, I'm just going to go mad offensive. And if other people, you know, if you, snap, if you snap up all the defensive cards, then you can just be stealing their magic like mad. <clears throat> It's a really interesting game. And yeah. I, I want you to play it some more. Uh, well, that... maybe I won't. <laughs> <laughs> huh? 
So that's Res Arcana, <laughs> spelled yeah, Res Arcana. It's a, it's a very small box thing. Um, it, it's pretty neat. I'm going to check it out some more. Yep, but for, if you're looking for the, how to spell any of these names, if you want to Google them, you'll find them all in the description of this podcast. Mm. Speaking of games that are almost good enough, uh, I've been playing a fair bit of Dice Throne recently. Mm. More specifically, Dice Throne Season 2, which you remember as something you played with me when we were both supremely jet-lagged. Yeah, I was jet-lagged and tired. I've got to say, actually, this was one of those games that you were like, I think this is really neat. And I, I didn't really, I, I was quite disinterested in it, really. Yeah, well, as far as us both ending up on the same page, like, I've ended up kind of sort of disinterested. I mean, the production quality was phenomenal. Yes. And it was really beautiful and smart. So, season one of Dice Throne uh, it was eight characters who are sort of eight different characters you can buy or play, and then you can compete in what's primarily a two-player game, but it's pretty uh, fun with three or four players as well. Uh, Dice Throne Season 2 got picked up by Roxley Games and kickstarted, and Roxley Games made it look like one of the most beautiful board games in the mm. world. Like, it's shockingly beautiful. Um, and all the characters come in these cute little boxes, and you open the box, and they accordion out, and then you put mm. them on the table. Every character has their own dice. So if Matt, you and me were playing... Uh, the way it would work is you'd pick your character out of all the dice throne characters you bought. So maybe you're the Seraph, who's like an angel. And maybe I'm a cool vampire. Or a cowboy. Or a cowboy, or a samurai, or a tactician. Who it's kind of like Overwatch dice. Tanks. Overwatch if you're familiar with popular culture video games. Yeah, that's a good... Uh, I, like that. I mean, pretty I think good. that's kind of what they pretty, pretty good. intended to do. Um, maybe. But Almost definitely. Okay. <laughs> uh, so the way it then works is Matt and I will take turns. The meat of the game is rolling dice and trying to create sets as if you were playing uh, King of Tokyo. It's not a bad yeah. example. Yeah. On your character board in front of you, you have all these different possible things you could roll uh, on your custom dice. So as the vampire, if you roll like uh, half of the sides of your dice are little scratch, like claw things. So if you roll five dice and use your re-rolls, because a big part of this game is figuring out what you're going to try and get, and then nudging the dice... Um, so, and then I get five claws, then I go scratch, 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 and I do a bunch of damage, and we're going to lower Matthew's Seraph angel person's health. Alternatively, I could roll the dice and realize I've got, like, one of the blood drops, which is the equivalent of rolling a six. I could then nudge my dice, re-rolling everything that isn't a blood drop, to try and get something like, if I roll five blood drops, then I get to do my super. There's also things like small straights and large straights, or if you roll one, two, three, four, five, six, all of this stuff. But where the tactics comes from is while there's uh, better and worse attacks, uh, first off, if you don't roll any of them, you do nothing on your turn, which is mm. awful. Mm. So if you go for something risky and don't get it, ooh, that's bad. But where a lot of the tactics comes in is from these sort of status effects that a people equip. I remember the cowboy, who's one of the beginner characters, just shoots people and then they fall over. Yeah, it's a classic cowboy. Uh, whereas the samurai causes people to become honorable or dishonorable. Yeah. And then you're also rolling sets of dice to try and uh, take these tokens off you, for example. Mm. Um, so there's lots of interesting play there. And then on top of that, sitting perfectly atop the game, you have some card play, mm -hmm. where both players also have a hand of cards from a deck that is unique to their character, because my goodness, this game can't stop being generous. And then, so let's say you draw a card, which is like, okay, you can spend one of your card points to remove a status token from either character. Mm. So then you're trying to weigh up, well, what token do I want to remove? There's lots of fiddly stuff there. You, I say fiddly, I mean like fun to fiddle with. Yeah, so I, I remember you've got this like a kind of power gauge that you can spend just on cards. Yes. And then you say, so, you know, you, you have got this hand, but you can't just build up a huge hand and then go pow, 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 pow. It's like, you know, you have to have to choose when and what to do. So there is a strategy element to it. Yeah, absolutely. Or with the vampire, the really difficult choice I had is they 
the game is largely about building up a lot of blood power, and then you can spend all of your blood power at once if you've maxed it out, Matthew. It's classic vampire. It's just vampires are to amassing blood as cowboys are to making people fall over. Exactly. It's I'm, just realism. I'm glad you understand this. Yeah. Uh, so, but as the vampire, you have a power whereby you can spend all of your blood at once, and then if you do that, that attack you do this turn, mm-hmm. however much damage it does, causes however much life your opponent lost, you get it back. No way. I know, but it's actually really neat in a push-your-luck dice game because let's say you max out your blood power and you do an attack that's all right. Mm-hmm. Matthew, are you going to spend all that blood power? Uh, I mean, yeah. Yeah, that's probably the right decision. But it might not be. Yeah, you might, you do might a- think, oh, I'm going to do a better one next time, but uh, maybe you won't. You know, so that's kind of dice thrown. Um, it is a really pretty solid head-to-head push your luck with some strategy elements i just didn't really click with it and i mean admittedly yeah i was jet lagged but being jet lagged hasn't really stopped me clicking with all sorts of things at conventions before yeah. i felt like that the strategy layer around it was just um you know it did just it, it boiled down too much to just rolling dice and hoping and and that's, weirdly, I am fine with that in most, if not all, genres of games. I mean, yeah, you are fine with it in Quacks of Quedlinburg. In, like, everything. Yeah. But I think I think it was this tableau of things of being like, ah, well, if you robbed four of these, you would have done two damage, but then something slightly different. It was like all these different moves you could do, and a lot of it wasn't that. But I only played with the starter stuff, so maybe it gets really wacky. You know, it doesn't really. And this is the thing. I, I started this by talking about games that aren't quite good enough. I... Every time I play Dice Throne, I really want to enjoy it because yeah. Roxy Games have done such a beautiful job with the production yeah. and rolling custom dice is just fun. As is, like, some of the cards that you can spend points to play are actually upgrades, which then the card is designed to look like your character board. So when you play the card, you actually put it on your character board. It covers up one of the dice sets you can roll. And if you manage to roll that, you now have an upgraded version of yeah. it. So it's cards that sit on your character board. It's it's clever. It's neat. It's tactile. I love rolling dice. I love push your luck. But... I it just didn't stick. But I don't think it is like Quacks is the thing because the, the thing about this is interesting is you can upgrade, you can use a card to upgrade a power so like, hey, if I roll four um, exclamation marks, it's going to do twice as much damage, etc. But there's no way I can really, apart from maybe playing another card to turn a dice over, adjust my odds throughout the game of rolling that more. Whereas the whole thing with Quacks is you are literally changing the odds of your bag in a way that you try and keep track of by memory. Whereas in this, it's like the odds remain fairly constant and that's that's it. <laughs> like, I mean, I'm not going to argue with you because, like I say, it's not it's not quite there. Every time I've played it, I've I've finished it and looked at the person across the I, table. I had the same thing of being like when we saw it, and I was like, I really wanted to love it because the production quality and the, the detail and the thought is just phenomenal. Um, I just didn't find it exciting at all. Well, the good here's the good news. Um, I realized because we got sent the big collector set with like eight characters in it. Mm-hmm. They actually mostly sell it as little one-on-one sets. So it's like cowboy versus samurai. So actually, if you do that, it's quite affordable. Mm. And so if people want to give Dice Throne a shot, if they like the sound of custom dice and playing cards, if you want to like it, just like Matt and I want to like it, then you know what? It's not too expensive to find out if Dice Throne Season 2 is for you. Yeah. Um, But yeah, do so with the caveat that everyone I've shown it to, including Matt and uh, Kylie and yeah, and a couple of other people, our friend Clark, have come away being like, yes, all right. <laughs> yeah. But yes, that still puts it in the ca- same category as like Wingspan for me, you know, just a light bit of fun that for me is all right. And a lot of people really like Wingspan. So if you're looking for something simple, really, really pretty and dicey and random, Dice Throne yeah, Season yeah. 2 might be for I mean, you. I guess if you're the sort of person where you roll five dice and then get a really good result and you feel like you've somehow 
achieve that <laughs> but that's me that's <laughs> it's not i don't know like i'm like it's always like wow that's cool but i never it's like i think the difficulty of having core like that is um yeah like it's it's weird like if you're if you're hoping for luck rather than hoping to avoid bad luck it's yeah there's something yeah i don't know what it is there's something about that whole game the whole design that makes me feel like there's not there's the approach you know if jeff engelstein was here right now i'd be like jeff what's the deal jeff Please, whisper into my ear. He'll know. Jeff would know. But he's not here, Quinns. Good old Jeff. So we have to move on. If you're Jeff Engelstein, uh, write in. <laughs> Just secretly. We won't tell anyone what you said. Just let us know. So another game we played recently um, was a game called The Insider, which is a very small box game from Oink. Uh, a games publisher who make beautiful little boxes that frankly just cost way too much money and uh, it's just it's not it's not on anyway so it's a game where one person knows a secret word and it has can be asked questions by everyone else and they have to answer yes or no so for example if the word was carrot carrot then that one player around the table knows that the word i could is say carrot. does it have hair no yeah, well, sometimes. Yeah, see, this is this is where it gets interesting, because then you're like, well, hang on a minute, what the hell sometimes has hair, but also you find in the ground? <laughs> um, I, I mean, yeah. Basically, the way it works is everyone has to ask questions, and you've got a little sand timer, and when that runs out, if you didn't guess it, then, oh, no, you didn't guess what the word was. However, there is somebody who is an imposter, somebody who is pretending to be clueless, but literally knows what the word is yeah so let's lay this out completely let's say it's a six-player game mm -hmm. you've got one person who's answering all the questions uh, you know like f for playing essentially what is 20 questions or mm -hmm. as you call as we call it in the uk animal mineral or vegetable do we uh, oh that's what my yeah i thought so is this just your weird friends it's my weird family maybe <laughs> so let's move on as fast as humanly I mean, no, possible I, mean, I think i have heard that before I've, i can't sass you twice in two different ways in the same podcast well but in so in this group of five people who are all asking questions going is it a vegetable uh -huh. or is it bigger than a bread box or whatever is it bigger than a vegetable is it <laughs> <laughs> um then uh you have one of these players who are asking questions but it's only yeah. pretending to not yeah know. so they're pretending to be clueless and so it's their job to effectively guide the discussion and guide guide everyone else to the correct answer but doing so in a way that doesn't let on to everyone else that they're the person who knew and depending on what the word is it can be either really easy or really hard yeah what well, so when matt was the insider your word was commercial and you <laughs> or commercialism it was commercial okay which became very difficult because commercial obviously means like an advert and also means like the concept of something is commercial, which means like people got very confused. It was because the it's like funniest because it meant like, can it be this? And like, yeah, but is it this? Yeah. So it's like, so even I was, I was the person who was trying to get it. So I was like, so it's both a physical thing and a concept. Yes. And it's just like, <laughs> that's about all I can do but without anyone else saying something. Well, no, Matthew, it wasn't all you could do because as there were about, <laughs> there were about 10 grains of sand in the sand time. It was going to run out. No, you did the correct thing. Yeah. But the whole group was going, so it's a concept. Is it? Is it politics? Is it? And then when the, with five grains of sand left in the sand timer, Matt went, oh, is it commercialism? Or is, is, it, commercial? is it commercial? And like, yes. And then everyone just looked at me and it's like, yeah, and there was that thing of like, they were like, okay, now everyone has a minute to decide. And I was like, look, there's no point. Like, <laughs> it's like, everybody knows it's me. Yeah, because then you have to uh, vote. And the insider has o only wins if the group gets the word and then everybody get thinks that someone else was the yeah. insider. So you have to try and lead them without anybody, like basically without the majority of the group realizing that it was you that was leading people, which is really, really hard and a really fun challenge. It turns out like when you know what something is and you're trying to invent questions that might elicit that, 
it's really tough to then like both come up with questions that are subtle enough that they follow the thread of what other people are saying in a way that makes sense. And also when you're trying to just ask questions that are like stupid and wrong to not just be like really stupid. It's the, it's like it's such an, a difficult mental But the thing. worst is that my word I, I think my word was tree. Yeah. Which is unbelievably simple. Like the group was going to get it in about 50 I think our group actually ended up getting it in about five seconds, which was the first question was, is it alive? Yes. Is it made of wood? Yes. Is it a tree? Yes. And it was done within seconds. But as the inside... That was mainly because I was just going to ask the question, is it made of wood as a joke? Regardless of referencing something we'd done before. And then when they said yes, and someone says a tree, everyone then looked at me and I'm like, no, it was a joke. (laughs) I didn't think it was going to be made of wood. The stupid thing about being the insider is that because everyone's so committed to getting the word... If you have a really easy word like tree, as the insider, you could just sit there in silence. But then the group would be like, well, why didn't you say anything? And Mm. that's kind of its own clue. So you have to exist in this space of asking questions, asking the right questions, or maybe asking, I guess, the wrong ones. Asking the the wrong questions in a way that isn't like, what are you doing? You know... Like, I can't drive, fly the plane and save us because I'm running up and down the aisle waving my arms around. It was good, wasn't it? It was really good. And I I really enjoyed it as a little... uh, it's funny how much in these games that feature like a secret person or a betrayer that y- you do get so invested at the end of being like, it's them, them, because you, often they're built on a narrative of they're the baddie and they're going to get away with it. But in this, it's just like, it's such mild deception. There was a game where like, I knew you were lying. And, <laughs> and in the end, it was like, everyone was like, mm, no, I think it's someone else. And it was just, I was like, look, just for the record. Quinn's is lying. I know he's lying. I don't really have any good reason why, but I just know he's lying and you don't have to pick him, but for the record it's him and then like people didn't pick him and it was like it's Quinn and I was like I knew it was you like I knew you were lying yeah you do have an uncanny ability to do that yeah but it's just I really enjoyed it as a but it was the part the 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 stress of doing it was unlike anything like it's stressful to pretend that you're not a werewolf but like to sit and do that whilst also trying to keep up with the conversation that you are basically being in on in on, on a fictional basis is really it's an interesting mental puzzle. It's a, it's just a mechanic I haven't seen before. Because we're so used to hidden roles, meaning, oh, there's one player who's trying to screw things up for everybody, whereas the insider is, oh, no, there's one player who he's is... trying to help us. But, but he's cheating? Yeah. Yeah. I say he because I'm looking at Matt, not because the yeah. insider has to be a man. Yeah. I mean, also, you could do it, I suppose, just by quickly hammering loads of questions at the other start just to get people just to write off loads I of stuff know, i don't know certainly there's a lot it's of a, game yeah. packed into a small box yeah. but um i think we have uh we get more grumpy about oink games than um when they're tiny beautiful little boxes than most people because here in the uk the import duties on them is just ridiculous oh they're just so expensive and i mean it's one of those things where like you know on a very basic level like as a company it's like well bully for them good for them it's like they make these tiny little things and they charge well for them and they're interesting fun games and people love them um but just from the perspective of what we do it's like come on come we on. can't recommend this it's too expensive like, it's so expensive but like, if you were going to treat yourself to one uh cute little oink game i think uh, the shut up and sit down favorite is a fake artist goes to new yeah, york i think that's still the best yeah so give that a google if you're interested uh speaking of stuff that it comes from uh the far east because you know oink games japanese company mm-hmm. i played a game from a singaporean design studio Oh boy, I hadn't looked at these names until we started recording. Uh, do I? Do I dare? Okay, I'm gonna. Uh, Christina 
Zhen Wei and Yo Ken Leong uh, are the designers of Three Kingdoms Redux. Mm. So what we have here is a, a German style management game. Visualize this in your head. Oh, I'm Matthew. closing my eyes. And it, I'm going to try and express to you why it took me four or five years to play this. I'm just, First off, I'm just getting underneath the duvet in my mind palace. Matthew, you're going to fall asleep. I can tell. I've worked with you for long enough that I think he's already asleep, ladies and gents. Yeah, he's asleep. He's asleep. Matthew! Ah! Okay, so what you've got here, imagine a very heavy... This is not going to help. Where am I? From not... <laughs> okay, okay, let's right. just start the it's podcast heavy... again. Okay, right. Uh, no, uh, it's a heavy game with a really thick manual. Uh -huh. Okay, so very complicated rules. Yep. It is for three players only. What? Okay, and it is based around uh, Romance of the Three Kingdoms, the mm. Chinese quasi-historical epic. Mm. Kind of like if you have to... It's the, the novel based on the Dynasty Warriors series, right? That's the Dynasty Warriors video games, yes. Yeah, the closest it, yeah. comparison is in English history is King Arthur, whereby it's kind of maybe partially real. But not. But not. I mean, I think the, the percentage I saw in Wikipedia is that Romance of the Three Kingdoms is 40% real. That's not bad. I thought so. So there's not really a, a comparison in, in European history. That's like, I'm thinking, I, the only comparison I have is like sausages of being like, it's 40% meat. You're like, it's not great. But uh, it's not terrible. Go with that, yeah. yeah. Uh, so what you've got here is a game where each of you can control one of the three kingdoms mm -hmm. in sort of um, uh, Chinese history slash folklore. Mm -hmm. And it's a game about trying to get points. Uh <laughs> What you have in the middle of the board is essentially it's a worker placement game. Okay, I'm gonna say it's one of those plastic dip things. Oh god, no! Uh, I love them. Stop talking about dips. I keep thinking about dips. I will buy you dips after the podcast. Okay. So, it's a worker placement game essentially. So, one of the spaces on the board might be you know get some armies, mm -hmm. and then another space of the work by worker placement, it's a principle where you can try and claim a space, and then once you've claimed that action, like get an army, mm -hmm. no one else can do it. Mm. So it's a combination of deciding what you want with what you want to deny your opponents. So I might get an army, then another turn I might do the space that lets me train the army. On another turn I might get some horses, and now I've got a trained army and horses in my sort of pile of stuff that I'm amassing in front of me. That means I can do an action sending that horse army with one of my generals to go to war with you, Matt, because you're sat next to me because it's a three-player game. Mm. So each player has a series of battlefields between them and the players to their left and right. And where a lot of your points come from in the game is every time you, in the same way you'd like pick a space with a worker in the middle of the board, you can pick a space, one of the battlefields between your two opponents and send an army to fight there. Now, except this isn't quite worker placement game. Rather, it's a bit more like an auction because, and this is where we start getting into the real crunch of, of Romance of the Three Kingdoms, every worker, quote-unquote worker you have, is a, is a general from Romance of the Three Kingdoms. So famous people like Lu Bu. Lu Bu, yeah. <laughs> Was your head also going to Lu Bu? Yeah, I'm trying to remember I can't one. remember. Zhang, Zhang Li? Hmm. No. Anyway, so all of your workers have different stats based on their administration or war skills, right? Like Lu Bu's fast, isn't he? I mean, they all have different... And he does a jump on a stick. All of these guys have custom art in the game. If you want to have art of Romance of the Three Kingdoms people, my goodness, this is the game for you. Okay. But so you have like four or five generals, and when you send your like one of your generals to go and sit on the space, which is get me an army, mm -hmm. other people can send better generals mm. or generals buffed with little plus one tokens uh, to knock you off that space. 
And here's the thing, you don't then get that general back. So if you go, oh, I'm going to train an army, and I go, I'm actually going to send a better general to train an army, mm. you've then just lost that space for that turn. So it's pretty mean. But now I've taught you how that works. You don't even get to go home and go somewhere else again. Nope. Like Nope. Wow. Nope. Wow. Nope. So... But the, here's the neat thing. All those mechanics of jostling for spaces are exactly how wars work. Because if you send a general onto a battlefield with an army, and then I send a better general with a better army, I've then won that little war for that battlefield space. Mm. So it's a it's a worker placement game where the spaces are about 12 spaces in the middle of the board where you get your resources from, and then all of the other spaces, which are little battlefields that you can claim. That sounds really cool. You know... A lot of people think so. A lot of people consider <laughs> <laughs> um, a lot of people consider this one of the best Euro games ever made, uh -huh. right? Um, and it does have some super interesting stuff. Like if you do win that battlefield, you've claimed that territory, Matthew. It's yours. But the catch is the general you sent with the army, because they won that territory, they now live there. Hmm. So the good news is every battlefield you control gives you a victory point or two every single turn. So if you if you out of the gate, turn one, get an army, send it to me. You've got a victory point every turn for the rest of the game. That's mm. huge. Yeah. But you have one less worker than it's everybody never else. never coming back. Yep. So it's a, it's a risk, it, not risk reward thing, but it's how much can you afford to throw away your economy on these victory point generating spaces? Yeah. You see, when you frame it like that, it sounds a lot less interesting because it just becomes like a usual Euro thing of being like, is it worth losing some production to get? victory points at the end of the game which is always a decision which is like uh, yeah the, probably i should do it but it, it's not fun the other reason that people like it is that every single general slash worker that you're sending to spaces has a special rule that is three kingdoms themed so of the like i mean every side in this fight has like i want to say 30 or so generals that they might hire over the course of the game every single general of which you might have seven or eight by the end of the game all have unique rules, so yeah. it's unbelievably slow and fiddly. Basically, me explaining this game is going to be alternating between here's why it's crunchy and slow and awkward, and mm -hmm. here's a really cool idea. One of the cool ideas is that um, for the two people who are basically second and third, mm -hmm. so who aren't winning, they form an automatic alliance. And all this means is that at the start of each round, you can pick any space in all the resource-claiming spaces in the middle, like get armies or tax or get food. And then that is a space you can share. So always the players in second and third place can pick any one space, like the, I don't know, train armies space, and then they can both go there. More than mm. that, the, the value of their generals there is added together. So basically, if you're first, every single round, there's going to be a space that the other players can choose that you cannot go to. Mm. So yeah, that's... I don't really want to talk about it much, than that, much more than that because I was hoping this would be something I could readily recommend. It is absolutely not. Um, if you're super into Romance of the Three Kingdoms, first off, you probably own this game already. But if you don't, I think you should absolutely look into it because having a game where, like, it's a it's a ridiculous love letter. Can you imagine a, a a Euro game where every single one of the workers was a card with its own special rule within this novel? Like, this is Kevin. He only likes wood. <laughs> it's that. It's oh no. This is this is the guy who rescued a baby belonging to this other character, which means that if you use him on this space, you get plus one victory point. Yeah. Yeah. Which, if you're into the theme, is like, oh my goodness. If, like me, you have never read and will probably never read Romance of the Three Kingdoms, it's insane. Yeah. Because it's a parade of characters you have absolutely no relation to. Yeah. So, yeah, that's all I'll really say about it. Um, It's, for me, way too heavy and difficult to get to the table. While we were playing it, we didn't even enjoy it an enormous amount. Although, if you're into, like, 
interesting, heavy stuff, and especially if you're into the theming, by all means, pick it up. But Shut Up and Sit Down does not recommend Three Kingdoms Redux. Okay. And I hate that because the only people who are going to... All of our audience... No one's going to care. No one's going to care. Apart from people who love it, who are going to be so angry yeah, and disappointed be But that's me. fine. Like, it's, it's not everything is for everyone. And that is fine. Thanks, Matt. Yeah. Hello, everybody. This is Quinn's from the future. I was just sat here editing this podcast and I thought, hey, you know what? If you like the sound of Three Kingdoms Redux, there's actually a game that we can recommend instead. And that game is... Lancaster. We published a review of this on shutupandsitdown.com, so if you Google Shut Up and Sit Down Lancaster, you'll definitely find it. And it's a lovely, playable, robust, entertaining game of medieval knights in England dislodging each other from spaces, turning the whole game into a cross between uh, sort of castle management and a constant ongoing auction. Your knight can go to France and then you maybe have to ransom them back. They can be killed. Ah, oh, it's lovely and very tactile. The knights are really big, chunky pieces of wood with little stickers on. Lovely stuff. So that game we recommend instead is Lancaster. And uh, actually, while I'm here, I'm just going to chuck in a quick correction about the last podcast when Matt and I talked about a game called That's Not Lemonade. A little box from Tuesday Night Games about children trying not to and failing not to drink pee. Uh, but here's the thing. Alan Girding from Tuesday Night Games got in touch with us after that podcast to say that we'd been playing a little bit wrong. You see, we compared it to Blackjack as a push-your-luck card game, but Alan pointed out that unlike Blackjack, and we didn't know this, players can actually come back in and accept more cards after they have passed, which opens the game up to uh, more interesting decisions and more wrong decisions as players do well and then pass and then pass again and then think, oh, you know what, I'll just maybe take one more card and then drink pee and they're out of the round, which strikes me as really funny and certainly a bit of extra spice uh, that we were absolutely missing when we reviewed it. So I think I might be keeping that game in my collection as a silly little thing. Anyway, on with the show. Hey Matt, don't you love Isle of Sky? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, that was that really threw me. For the people at home, we decided what game we would talk about during that jingle, and then I thought Matt would help me build up something, but instead he sort of pulled the rug out from under me. Uh, pulled the pin out of the quincing grenade. You know what? Screw you. I'm not going to let you talk. I'm going to take a shot of this. Isle of, okay. Isle of Sky is a really lovely tile-laying game. Uh, it is a game we've talked about a lot on the site before. It's fabulous. Uh, it's a game where everyone's trying to build up their own Scottish island uh, in a manner very similar to Carcassonne, if you've ever played that. But the difference is players each receive three tiles every round, and of those tiles, you have to price them. So you might say, oh, this is a good tile. I'm going to price it at four coins. If someone buys it, you get four coins. But if nobody buys it, you have to pay the price that you assign mm. to it. It's a lovely, tricky thing. We talked about the Journeyman expansion recently, which came out of absolutely nowhere. Yeah, uh, which suddenly, the little man that walks around your island. and But with a tech tree, yeah. suddenly. And it takes uh, what was previously a breezy 45-minute game and turns it into this hour-and-a-half-long gamer's game. So very quickly, Matthew, I have played the next expansion after Journeyman. It is called Druids. Druids. What do you think Druids adds? Bears that turn into no, see, wizards. For, for this joke to work, I need you to give me the honest answer. What do you okay. think Druids adds? Uh, Stonehenge. No. Um, old fusty men. No. Um, uh, 
cloaks. No, all of these would have been sensible things to include in the Druid's expansion. Doesn't add any of that. Okay. This is uh, a, a, in some ways, it's kind of a failure um, because Journeyman took a game that was a bit thematic and added more theme with a guy walking around your island mm-hmm. and roads and bridges. Druids just adds this, what I can only describe as a druid shop. So right. what's exciting about Druids is it means that there are now more tiles in the game. Everyone's islands are going to be bigger because in between every round, people can take their money and go to a very overpriced Druid shop and pay for special tiles that provide multipliers for your island. Right, okay. The reason this is good is, first off, it means you have more tiles, everyone's building bigger islands, it's exciting. But also, the reason it's really quite nice and I like it a lot is it uh, adds a money sink to the game because Isle of Sky has a lot of faucets with players having more money all the time mm. which means pricing tiles gets really difficult towards the end because suddenly th- you're not selling things for four you're selling things for like 19 or 20 coins yeah. Yeah. which makes the game really hard and fuzzy whereas now with Druids all those players who have a lot of money kicking around it leaves the game yeah it leaves the game but also it means that if you got dicked over in previous rounds because everyone bought your tiles and now you have a small island mm-hmm. you can go to the druid shop and say hey I want to buy this cool tile I want to buy revenge on my friends yes you can do exactly that what kind that. of potion can you do I want them to hurt real bad oh my god Matt there's one tile that makes them hurt real bad there's really a, there's a dru- yeah there's a druid tile you can get which means whenever you buy coin- buy tiles from other players you pay less is this actually like magic druids? No, no. The, all the druid t- is genuinely infuriating. All the tiles are are like little tiles with extra but, rules printed but on them. You're buying? Are you buying them from a magic druid? Not really. The shop sits to one side of the it's board. Just a guy who calls himself a druid. No, it's a box that calls itself druid. There's no druids in the game. There's no druid related content. There's no magic or mystery of any kind. I even like a magical staff. There's on the cover of the box. There's a man with a magical staff. You go. I love men. I love staffs. I'm gonna buy this you yeah. take it home you know what no staff's in the box i'm calling consumer watchdog agency this is an outrage i <laughs> you know i'm i'm being silly but also <laughs> like the base game and the first expansion you know there's theme you're in scotland yeah, there's a guy second journeyman around. it's a man going on a journey he's pottering about he's druids le- he's where's the wizards there's no druids in druids where's the wizards but if so it's it's a less exciting and less thematic expansion here's the thing I still, like I still like it. I mean, yeah, it's a great game. And like, you could probably do an awful lot of weird things to that game. Even if you do forget to put Wizards in the box, it's probably still going to be quite fun. Here's hoping that the third expansion remembers to have a little do bit of Do you need theme. it? Do you need it? Because I think Journeyman kind of, I know you were a big fan of it. And I think me and you are starting to see uh, things differently about expansions i think you're still like your, your perfect expansion is something which like changes the game and makes a different experience mm. whereas i think actually like I, the more and more I've, I've played those the more and more i don't like them i like a, i like a box to be like this is what this is i think you've been soured by playing Comet and realize well i, I think Comet was interesting and I, I will come back to that in a video form at some point but i think i think even with that with journeyman it's like this is cool but i think i prefer the base game and if i was going to play something of this complexity i'm not sure if i play this yeah you know what i mean yeah no i totally hear you um i don't think anyone needs druids um but you know i am absolutely keeping it and i'm absolutely going to consider playing with it whenever i play isle of sky and also if you play it with journeyman then your boards your you know your islands are going to be so big and that's exciting (laughs) uh maybe we'll have to play this one on a stream i just i just love the sincerity of that you're gonna have island's a big island. Gonna be so big. Can you? Oh, it's so exciting. Can we do a Galaxy Trucker style expansion? So you build a big island, then meteors destroy it. Ooh, that'd be good. Yeah, we should do Galaxy Trucker on the stream at some yeah, point. Yeah, we should. It's just silly. Okay, speaking of silly things. Yep. 
we are about to publish a review, a video review of this, but let's just get a couple of early thoughts on Batman Gotham City Chronicles. It's fine. Oh my God. It's fine. We've been spending too much time together. I played this very briefly. I had a little mission of this and then you went off and continued your Batman adventures. Um, and I don't know how you got there, but I would say that we, we actually had the favour, we can say this, the amazing time of getting to play this with Mr. Trey Parker. Yes, who's, who's responsible for uh, South Park, uh-huh. Team America World Police, uh, the Book, Book of Mormon. The Book of Mormon. Uh, yeah, wonderful guy. And he was in London and is a fan of board games and basically asked to, you know, to, like, do you want to meet up, play a game? We did. It was lovely. Um, so He's, we played some Batman with him. Yeah, he said some very kind words about our storytelling and jokes, which yeah. is which coming which is, from frankly, him. Bizarre. It was. I'm, I my heart is beating faster just thinking about it. Oh. So Trey, if you're listening to this, thank you very very much yeah. for uh, a real roller coaster, brilliant day. And then I went home, and the next day I did loads of admin and spell checking, and it really grounded me. Anyway, um, <laughs> so this is the uh, Batman Gotham City Chronicles is the one hundred and thirty dollar. Uh, Kickstarter extravaganza. It is. And it is a game which isn't as good as I would have wanted it to be. Yes. Especially not for that much money. It's interesting in the fact that it really does, from what little I played, treat Batman as the whole package as being like, what is Batman? Batman, he's a detective. He's uh, He has gadgets. He fights. He <laughs> can do, fly around. Who does he fight? Well, he fights everybody. The, yeah. The, so there's like what, just some crazy number of miniatures in this game. And, and the Kickstarter went... I, I don't say this much in the review, so I'll keep it on the podcast. I think this is a game that is made worse by the fact that it is a Kickstarter game. Because some of my problems in the review... For a start, the fact that the base game is two boxes. Right? Yeah. The reason why is because they need a storage solution for the hundreds of... Well, maybe not hundreds. Maybe 100 miniatures in the game. Yeah the stretch goals mean that there are like 30 playable heroes there are dozens of villains there are so many sculpts of different yeah bad guys. i mean you brought to london to play you just brought what you needed just to play one scenario yeah and it was like a, a bigger box than a lot of full in games. order to just transport this game i had to you know um i don't know if anyone any of our listeners are playing red dead redemption but there's an animation in that video game where when you gut an animal, you sort of kneel down and you have to open up the thing. And that's what I had to do with Batman Gotham City Chronicles. I had to open it up, remove all the pieces I didn't need, put everything into one box just so I could have something that I could carry with me. Yeah, yeah. And we played it and we had to stop a thing in a bank and there were some computers and a computer virus and it was all fun, stupid Batman stuff. There's some villains in a bank. Uh, Batman and Robin are outside. We need to get past the goons. We need to deactivate these computers before the bad villains do viruses all good we had some fun gadgets and it was basically it's designed by the same people who did conan it plays a lot like that in terms of it's uh, very yes, fast the conan miniatures game that we reviewed a few years ago yeah it's very fast um as the baddies you get to play with this fun little river tableau of um like cards like that you can flip along and cycle through all the enemies that get to move around meanwhile the heroes can just basically run around and do as much stuff as they want and really exhaust themselves or take it easy and kick back and get some back and basically has a really interesting flow to it yeah however the thing that's really fun about the batman game is the same thing that was really fun about conan which is running up to things and hurting them yeah, and <laughs> that's a you know I'm kind of annoyed because I've written the review script and that 
could there's definitely long paragraphs in the script i could just crunch down into you, when you get home you can give it a give it a tweak <laughs> give yeah. a little thing it's honestly it, conan was a game about running up to things and hurting them yeah and, and batman is a game about running up to things and hurting them but now they've changed it a bit so that that's no longer the game no so that was the thing we did when we played it we failed the mission um and we failed the mission basically because we were having fun Yes. Uh, we were being Batman and Robin. The miniatures, wonderful, beautiful little Batman and Robins running in like I, I was Robin. And obviously I wasn't the Cape Crusader, so I wasn't going to be doing like the prime primo roughing up people with my fists. Otherwise, I would have been doing that. I was just throwing batarangs because I just got a box of batarangs that I'd obviously borrowed from Batman. <laughs> and I was really good at ranged stuff. So I was just throwing batarangs at people and I kept missing and whatever. And then there was a point where a big bad enemy appeared. It was, it was none other than Clayface. Mr. Clayface himself. And this miniature's huge. And I was like, screw this, I'm going to go and get him. And I, I, I leapt, leapt through a door, chucked a smoke grenade behind me to stop goons from following us. And then ran through another door and hurled an explosive batarang at him. And it hit and it did so much damage. It almost wiped him out completely in one hit it was the coolest moment it was so cool and we could really visualize it and then you know it didn't quite kill him and he grabbed batman it was great but this didn't matter because we had to get the objective done and really to get the objective done we should have chosen gadgets that were suitable for the mission and we should have had a very strict plan about how to do it yep and it's just like what is this like it's kind of I mean, I, I just played that one mission, but it felt more like a tactical SWAT game. And it's like, that's not what being Batman is about. Yeah, that's almost exactly what I say in my uh, in my review, you know. And I think it you've got to compare it to Conan. You have to compare it to Imperial Assault or, or Descent, um, all of which are games where, you know, you have to... There's there games with combat and fighting, but where you have an objective to do. But those things are, are sort of in sync, you know? Yeah. When I played campaigns of Descent for years and years, a lot of those ga- those levels and missions are about movement. Yeah. But often it's only really one person who has to move. So Descent becomes, okay, yes, we do have to cross this room before the end of next turn, but that's okay because I'm going to fight this guy and then you can do it because you're the movement person. Whereas Batman is, is so hamstrung by... There is no opportunity for you to have fun. In order to complete the missions, you have to do everything by the book. Yeah. There is no room for fun, Matthew. There's no room for throwing smoke grenades or blowing holes in and walls. And you know what? I'm sure if, if Batman himself was here, he'd agree with that. And he's like, yeah, that's what being Batman is about. Like, there's no time for fun. You've got to <clears throat> choose your angle, only fight when you need to. But that's not what it's about, pretending to be Batman. It's about pretending you're a six-year-old, running into a bank that's being burgled, and thinking, which of these two corridors am I going to run down and biff pow everybody in them? I just don't, which is the optimal biff pow route. I can't see how it got through playtesting because what you did is what everyone's going to do. You know, you're outside that bank, and to clarify, there are loads of scenarios in this. We just the one Matt played what happened to be um, uh, a bank, a bank robbery thing. But what you did is what all playtesters would do, which is run up, beat up some guys, yeah. maybe try and push into the building a bit deeper, have some fun, do things because you're Batman. You blow up a wall and jump through it. It was great. Uh, but any playtesting session in the world, you would have looked at that and realized, well, okay, hang on, what players are doing is actually not what they they need to do. You know, and I've got to say, like, I, have, I actually haven't, before this, haven't really talked to you about your, your further experiences with Batman or the review. I'm going to have some eyes on it before we do it and help you out with some bits, but it's fascinating. The thing I found that was so frustrating is it's like the main criticism of Conan was the fact that it's like, hey, the core of this is really cool. Um, yeah, the characters could have been cool if the characters you have had available were fleshed out a bit more so it wasn't just like Conan's fun and everyone else is just there. Yeah. Um, 
but the main problem was like yeah the missions themselves like kind of weren't tight enough yep. they could have been better and like to see this coming with like 30 playable characters it's just like oh man like this there's, there's a lot more going on in terms of rules and remembering stuff and each character having unique little things they're slightly better at which is just kind of fiddly and it just would have been so much better to see them really take on board that main criticism of the game and just be like okay we're going to use a very small number of playable characters and we're going to make a really tight campaign. You know, it's imp- it's impossible for me not to be cynical because everything that's in it that's great, which is the range of characters, the sculpts, uh, the user interface, what the boards look like, all the promised rules and mechanics, yeah. all of those things in the game are great. But those are the things you need to sell a Kickstarter. And yeah. they did. They sold this on Kickstarter. They did a great job. But the things that are so much more important if you're just making a product, which is balance which is players drive being in line with what they're supposed to do in the game which is usability holy crap batman gotham city chronicles is a usability nightmare you had the amazing point that like oh they've made all the um the boards and the interface look like wayne tech computers from the movies (laughs) yeah and then you pointed out to me but those interfaces in the movies are awful yeah they've made it look like a a sci-fi film sci-fi interface but they're always like they're just there to look good like if you imagine a world in which computers actually look like sci-fi computers it would be awful in hell yeah like floating hexagons and they've even done that in a stylistic choice that you've got like lots of little things they could have made it bigger they got like you know they could have they could have you mean the icons there's a lot of dead space on the art they've got like even like the thing that sits in front of you with the icons they could have been bigger there could have been more information or they could have made the picture art of the character bigger but instead, there's just a lot of dead space. And the fact that you then have to look up in the manual what all these specific skills are, when on the back you have another piece of art of the character and a biography in both English and French, it's just like, you haven't thought about this. Yeah. You're just like, you haven't re. The graphic design is great. Like, the design in terms of what it looks like, it pops. Like, the player boards are beautiful. Like, it's a fantastic production. But I just feel like. It's just, it's just a bit of an annoying mess. Yeah, it's it's the gulf. But, and I wish I wasn't saying this. And I know, you know, because Monolith are very defensive about their work, that they're going to deny this, but it's not my job to humor them as a critic. They're, the gulf between everything that they needed to do to sell a Kickstarter versus everything they needed to do to make this a playable game is huge. They have so knocked out of the park everything that is aesthetical mm. and so failed everything that is concrete and difficult that it's it's difficult for me not to see this as them just trying to get the Kickstarter out the door. And that's, I mean, that's, it's such a shame because Conan was so close to being genuinely really, really great, but wasn't quite there. And it sounds like this is something which, again, just is either the same or can, we could recommend less. Yeah, uh, it's, it's so frustrating. I mean, they have taken on some of the criticisms from mm-hmm. Conan, for sure. The presentation of women in this game is completely fine now. I mean, as far as I could notice yeah. like conan was an embarrassment to play in front of or put in front of women yeah this is not conan didn't have enough scenarios this does but mm-hmm. they've they've just made so many other mistakes in the process just so many things by the sounds of it so yeah but do uh watch the review we've got coming out of this shortly because yeah. first off i've had a lot of fun there's some really fun props and jokes in the video but also just going into a bit more detail and also my goodness you should watch the shut up and sit down video review of batman gotham city chronicles because it's just a hell of a thing to look at mm. wait until you see the Batmobile. Holy crap. Yeah, it doesn't need to be that big. Been saying that for years. So a few podcasts ago, we did talk about Chronicles of Crime briefly, and we were really impressed by the core design of a game which basically pit you as not like a a serious uh, notepad-taking style detective, but more of the daytime TV detective of, of looking at people's faces and going, it was them, this person did that with this, and having a tableau of faces rather than a pile of written information. 
And that came off the back of us playing Detective, a modern crime board game. Yep. Yep. Wow. Okay, I got it it right. Um, And finding it to be the opposite and being like, this is so much more fun. Anyway, I played some more of it for review and it was really interesting in the fact that it was incredibly inconsistent and the writing was not good. Uh, Sometimes in ways which were just basically a bit unpleasant and obnoxious, but mostly just in ways that were just laughable. And I found overall it to be a really interesting uh, roller coaster of silliness. But Matt, what if I want to hear more of your thoughts on well, Chronicles you should of definitely Chrome? check out uh, my review because it's a, a really interesting video review in the fact that the game is interesting, but it has problems, and it's like how much can you forgive these problems, or should you forgive these problems? And then also we go to look at the expansion, which came out, which is called Noir, which honestly is just a bit of a hot mess. It's boring, and it's just it just sort of digs up loads of weird old school 1940s misogynistic tropes in a way that you're like why why would you do this anyway i think it's a really interesting video and i think it's uh, it ends up being quite a simple game to talk about but then there's a lot of stuff to talk about in terms of um broader stuff around it and about the history of noir i think it's an interesting video and i think people should check it out i think you did an amazing job and if people want to check it out they can go to youtube and search for shut up and sit down chronicles of crime thank you Put your hand in my mailbag for me a letter. It is time now to dive into the mailbag. And I think I've got one just in the Actually, it's a bit further down. Could you just hold on to one of my ankles? Yep. Hang on. Matt, Matt you're going... You're in too deep. That's fine. I got one. Lucky ladies. <sighs> one of these days, Matt, you're not going to be lucky. Okay, here we go. All right, thank you very much. Uh, oh, this is from... Uh, oh, I thought his name was uh, Proud Donor, but it's Ian. <laughs> it's, it's Ian the Proud Donor. Proud, and apologising if, if I say this wrong, Proud Donor. <laughs> <laughs> uh, from Mr. Proud Donor, writes, uh, Hello, shut up and sit down. If you could force the metaphysical entirety of board gamers into a room and make them play a game that you think is phenomenal mm. but doesn't get enough love, what would it be? Ah. Thanks. I love the site and the continued efforts at inclusivity and broadening the scope of the critical discourse of board games into political, ethical, and moral waters. Wow. That was a, that was a sentence. Ian making us sound like uh, a, a cool politician there, but we're just two dudes. We're just two dudes. That's That's basically it. Um, that's an interesting question. I kind of had an answer until the final line, which is that doesn't get enough attention. So oh, I've got, let's I've ignore got, that. I've we got can... two answers. So oh, okay. I think the one that like doesn't get enough love uh, is probably Flamme Rouge, actually, out of all things, because lots of people just look at it and see the components and go, see the components of the design and go, well, there's nothing there. Or they, they think they get it, but there's slightly more to it than they think. And it's a bit like with Skull of being like, but there's no rules. Flamme Rouge definitely does have a lot in common with Skull. Yeah, it does. It really does of being like, there's there's more to this than it appears. But I think the game I'd I'd just love everybody who plays games to play, and if I could force it on them in a nice way, uh, would probably be Twilight Imperium. Because Really? Well, it's amazing how many people I meet who you talk to about TI and Twilight Imperium who basically go, oh yeah, but it's just so, so big and crazy. And I think... I was the same. I think you look at it and you're like, it just looks so complicated. You're like, you think I can't do that kind of game. It's too heavy. When it isn't, basically. It isn't. And it's just such an experience. It's such an interesting thing um, that I just, I think it's something everyone should play. And it always makes me sad when I have people who go, I'd really like to try it, but I don't know, maybe maybe it's like, just try it. Have you got a friend who's got it? And most of the time people say, I'd kind of like to try it maybe one time. You ask people about it and they're like, I've got a friend who keeps trying to get me to play. And it's like, do it then. Just do it. Yeah, I'm really proud of my line in the re- in my review of the fourth edition where, you know, because Twilight Imperium is known as the game that's big, 
but the line I have in the review is, but it's not just, you don't get four editions from being a big game. You get four editions and you save a company if you're really big and really good. Yeah, it's just, it's it's fantastic. Like I've, I've ended up like going from having never played it to I think in the past six months, I've played it three times. Oh really? Which is pretty crazy for a game that big of just having different groups of people who are like, hey, do you want to play TI? And I'm like, yeah. Yeah, it's... Yeah, I do. You know, it's a... Because so many board games in the 80s used to be this kind of like, uh, oh, take territory and, and, and uh, you know, having a light diplomatic layer over the top of it. Mm. Um, and Twilight Imperium seems to be one of the few really popular ones that survived. Um, I am going to... Uh, I keep thinking about buying it. I think... I feel It feels a bit stupid to buy it because you've got a copy and if I ever really wanted it, I could just borrow it, but... It seems to be increasingly filling a place in my heart that it just might be have, some, have to be something that I find a place for to live in my house somewhere. Yeah, and in terms of us trying to find something that's similar, there was a board game going around a while back called Mega Civilization, part of this series of Civilization mm. games. Nothing to do with the Civilization video games, by the way. No. Um, but Mega Civilization, this big, like, 18-player, you know, uh, Civilization, ancient Civilization running thing, that's not being reprinted as far as I know, but it is getting a new version this year, even better, even more updated, called Western Empires, mm. which is for five to nine players is lasting about three to eight hours so it's exactly in that twilight imperium spot mm. supposedly it's excellent so uh i you'd better believe that i'm going to be getting my hands on a copy of western empires as soon as it comes out later this who's year who's going to have the biggest cowboy empire uh no it's not wild west it's, i know I was, I was doing a bad joke but it was so bad that it just came across as idiocy no you managed to rankle me in the way that we usually rankle star wars fans but it turns out if you get <laughs> if you get historical things wrong oh wow then have i, I, just, have I just found the back door to oh, no, no don't get history this is wrong. gonna be great no i've got the next five years of my personal happiness absolutely in the bag i hate that this has happened and that's another episode of the shut up and sit down I podcast i didn't answer the, the question bag. all right answer the question i want everybody to play a mega game because yeah, no that's good i think there's so much mega games if you're not aware are something that shut up and sit down has covered a bit in the past they're getting more and more popular now um they're the, the most closely related maybe to a model un where there are sort of board game elements but players will walk around on their feet you know these games will often feature 10 15 20 30 people mm -hmm. um so the the board get it's it's half board game half role playing i guess yeah. but importantly as matt has talked about in the past you're not role playing a person you're role playing a job mm. which makes the game uh, very accessible you know you're not you're this person who's just lost their wife you are somebody who maybe works as the scientist for germany yeah you're just trying to do some research for germany god when everyone leave you alone but yeah i mean honestly this is one of the few things i could happily say like it's it's a shonky video in many ways now, but if you're interested in mega games and you've never seen it, if you uh, Google shut up and sit down mega game, you will find we've done two videos uh, of two different mega games days. Um, the second one is better produced, but the first one is probably the one that is still just the best. It's basically a little mini 40 minute video of our day playing a mega game. And it's just I, I think I think it's a wonderful fun video and it's just a wonderful glimpse into a world that if you don't know about it's a good way to find out about it. And gosh, it is weird and strange and wonderful. Yeah, it certainly is. And the sheer number of different mega games being developed all over the world now shows mm. how much uh, how much wealth there is within that design space. So I would love for board gamers to play it because this is a whole new genre of games, like mm. waiting to be developed or mm. being developed, I should say, by mega game societies all over the world. Mm. 
I'm going to do an ending now. Now we've both answered the mailbag okay. question. Okay. Thank you very much for listening to the Shut Up and Down podcast, everybody. Uh, I've been Quentin Smith, and I've been joined by Matt Lees. All right, I'm Matt Lees. Time for you to get back in your bag, Quins. No, I don't want to get You've back got in to the get bag. Back in the don't bag. Put me in the bag. Get in the bag. If you're not aware, as because we, we're trying to drop more and more and more and more and more hints, Shut Up and Sit Down is not just a podcast. Mm. There are some Americans who like to drive around listening to us. Did you know, Americans? We have written articles on shutupandsitdown.com. Yep. We have a bunch of video content on YouTube. Oh boy. We do, every other week, we do a little playthrough of a board game on Twitch. We do. And so that's a lot of fun. If you go to twitch.tv slash shutupandsitdown, you'll see a big poster saying when the next stream is, and you'll be able to click uh, follow, which means you'll get an email whenever we start streaming. And hey, if you live in either Canada or North America area, we are doing our convention again. For two years, we've run Shucks, the Shut Up and Sit Down convention in sunny Vancouver, and we're going to our third year, and it's going to be very exciting. We've got some cool plans, and we've got a room that has carpets, which is really nice. We try and make it a really cozy, fun thing. So hey, if you live nearby-ish, and you fancy a little weekend holiday with friends or family, or just fancy coming along and making some new friends, then uh, Shucks is, is going to be really, really cool. And you can find out more about that at shucks.show. Yeah, but it's basically one and a half thousand people playing board games for three days. Yeah, we do some dumb live shows and it's it's pretty fun. It's really fun. Yeah. It's like the best thing I do all year. And everyone's so nice. Oh, it's so it's good. It's almost weird. I so, feel like it's a catfish thing. I feel like everyone's going to turn around and have too many teeth. Like one year we'll eventually show up and there'll be no one there. And there'll be like, a we'll walk into the hall and there'll yeah. just be a big banner saying, psych. Yeah, that, that I look forward to that. I don't. Thanks for listening. Bye. Goodbye.